0: Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the live your great story podcast. I'm your host Stacy Strickland. You know, this podcast exists to introduce you to really cool people doing really cool things. And in today's conversation, I get to introduce you to my friends, Bob and Kay Van Flutteren. Bob's currently a teacher with me at Franklin Christian Academy and Kay's a nurse here in town but they have an amazing story of how the Lord is using them to empower and impact a small town in Haiti through education. They're the founders of the Trezo school. And in this conversation, we hear all about their journey, both the challenges and the joys that they were taken on as they've never intended to start a school. But how cool is it that the Lord had other plans? We all know that the Lord's ways are higher and better than our ways. And the impact that the Trezo school has had on their community It's just a testimony to the obedience that the Van Fleterans have walked in, even through the fear of the unknown. Friends, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. God's doing a mighty thing in Haiti. And so let's jump into my conversation with Bob and Kay. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me today on the Live Your Great Story podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Absolutely. Um, so let's just start off and tell me a little bit about yourself. So um, you're—I know we teach together. Uh, I know that you're a nurse, but just give us kind of a background about who Bob and Kay are, family, all of that stuff.
1: Uh, Sure. Thanks, Stacey. We're um, Bob and Kay Van Flutteren. We've uh, been married now over 38 years and uh, met uh, way back when in college. And um, since that time have been led on a bunch of different things. But along the way, we've had three sons who are all adult grown men now and uh, three grandchildren. We're settled here in Franklin, Tennessee.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. I, um, I was talking with some of our students and they knew that I was going to be interviewing with you guys. And so I asked them, I said, what are some questions you might want to ask Mr. Van Flutteren? And one of them goes, how did you get into teaching? Because you have a very eclectic background, they said. And, uh, This is your first year, like, officially teaching, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's my first year in the classroom. Okay. Uh, So for years, uh, we've taught Sunday school, or or, um, I've led youth on trips, mission trips. Uh, I've always been kind of closely connected to students. Um, And uh, people have recognized that I enjoy teaching, but I've never really been in the classroom. So after a long time in industry and a variety of industries at that, uh, the time came and the um, situation was right and the opportunity all fit. And this is a new season for me then to uh, to jump out of industry and into the classroom. And up until now, I've had a ball doing it.
0: Awesome. So what are some of those um, industry things that you've done? In the past. Uh,
1: I came out of college with a degree in engineering and started with Dow Chemical in the chemistry uh, industry, kind of quickly moved from there into automotive, where I spent a good chunk of time, uh, from there into uh, packaged food goods, um, from there into publishing, and most recently I was in um, equipment business for the diesel fueling industry.
0: Wow, that's awesome. I definitely am not a teacher by trade, either. <laughs> so I get yeah. that how you just kind of go on these different journeys through life, and um, and then end up here with these kids. So
1: well, it, it's kind of fun if you um, if you're listening closely to, in our case to what the Lord is doing in your life, and you say, okay, uh, you know, one yes leads to the next yes, and uh, nothing in uh, either of our backgrounds would have prepared either of us for education yeah. um, at all. Um, or any any kind of public figure at all not neither of us were wired in that way uh, mm-hmm. when we met but uh as we learned one yes sort of leads to the next and um at some point in your life you begin looking backwards across where you've been led and what you've been privileged to do and it's uh, it's it's quite a it becomes quite an adventure
0: That's awesome. I like how you say that one yes leads to the next yes. Um because that's kind of part of what my mission is here, right? It's like dreaming big dreams, but then saying yes to big adventures. And um, so, I mean, let's just jump right into it, because you guys, you know, have had a great career life, you know, I guess you could say in the marketplace. Um, But ministry-wise, you guys are doing something pretty cool down in Haiti, right? So talk to me a little bit, um, just first about, like, it's Trezo, right? How do, you, how do you pronounce
1: it? Yeah, that's right. Trezo. It's T-R-E-Z-O, pronounced Trezo. That's a, actually a Haitian Creole word that uh, translated means treasures.
0: Treasures, okay. Yeah. And that's a school down in Haiti. So mm-hmm. give me a little bit of the backstory. How did the dream for this school get started? What? Just kind of tell me that, that story.
1: Let me give you the start of the backstory, and then I'll let Kay jump in. But um, part of the backstory is... The one yes leads to another. Um, prior to Haiti, uh, we had been involved more recently in refugee resettlement here. Um, Kay is a uh, wonderfully hospitable host, and uh, that was her gift. And we thought, well, she'll she'll never get on an airplane and go overseas, uh, but um, she will welcome the world to our doorstep. Hmm. And, and so we'd um, uh, had several different episodes where we had housed refugees, uh, before that international students, uh, before that crisis pregnancies. And that series of yeses uh, brought us to a place where um, Kay was actually in nursing school as an adult doing second career, uh, you know, m- midlife, halftime, change of career thing, uh, where she went, met a, um, another student and the two of them made their, or Kay's at least, first trip uh, to Haiti. Hmm.
2: So we made the trip, Stacy. It was uh, Jan. Well, there was a major earthquake in Haiti in January 2010, and my a good friend of mine in nursing school had two adopted sons from Haiti. So when the earthquake happened, we were all watching it on the news and all the aftermath. And she's like, i got to go to Haiti. I've got to get down there. I've got to do something. And I said, they're not going to let you in as a nursing student. We didn't really have any value at the time. So I said, let's wait till summer when we're out of school and I'll go down with you. So we went. She had been to Haiti several times adopting her kids. So she was very familiar with it. But um, we set up so that we were going to go in to serve at, um, it was called Three Angels. I believe it was called. And it was an orphanage, a school, and a clinic mm-hmm. that was outside of Port-au-Prince, the main city in Haiti. So we got on the plane, and as we were getting ready to fly down there, we found out that the person who was supposed to be leading our group couldn't make it. So we kind of landed in Haiti, which at the time was was pretty um, undeveloped at the time. We landed in a hangar and um, went out and found our way to a guest house where we were going to be staying. And um, I wasn't in the country, but 20 minutes and riding in the back of a car where so many different smells and everything. Yeah. And I don't know, something at the time just clicked that like, I felt like I was home. There was something hmm. there about the country. I don't know what it was, but it was just immediate, you know, situation of falling in love with the country. We worked a clinic, a medical clinic that week, and the people would line up at like 3 a.m. And the thing was, the doctor who was at the clinic had to be rushed back to the United States for a surgery. So here we were, one nurse, two nursing students, and the Haitian staff, and we were seeing these patients. And it was really challenging because we didn't—we weren't sure we were doing the right thing. It was like we just yeah. were giving our best, and the Haitian staff was really good at walking us through and, and helping us um, through that. But what I've realized... Throughout the week, something that became very clear to me was even though I was studying to be a nurse, um, it was like medicine in Haiti at, at the rate that I could provide would be like putting Band-Aids on much bigger problems. Um. And And even at that point, I realized that there was something far more fundamental that that was needed. And that was education. So that was my first experience. We came back. Of course, you know, if you've ever been on a trip like that, there's so much processing that goes on. Mm -hmm. But as we processed and as time went on, we just felt really called to education. And um, we had met an interpreter while we were there who really had a passion for education. He had been a street kid in Haiti who was, you know, no family, just hanging out on the streets, living day to day. And someone had paid, you know, the $300 a year or whatever to educate him. And he had learned English and that had changed his entire life. So he was like, let's start a school. Let's start a school. Let's start a school. And we're like, I don't know how to start a school. I mean, I don't know <laughs> I'm anything a about student. it. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> I'm clueless as to how to start a school. But um, it took about a year of discussing that. And he had, the interpreter, had moved to a different area in Haiti called Jacmel, which is a four hour drive from the, the capital city of Port au Prince um, through the mountains, just a very rugged Interesting trip, but we visited him the next year, and it's a beautiful area because it's right along the ocean. And when you walk up the hill by um, by where we settled, you can actually see the ocean. But um, at that time, we met a little old lady named Madame Pohl, who had a church, a uh, little church building, and by church I mean it is a little brick building, one room, no windows, one door, you mm-hmm. know, no electricity or anything. And Madam Pohl had prayed a long time ago that if God ever provided her with property, she would allow and dedicate some of that land to him. So that was why she had this little one room church in her place. So she said, if you guys want to start a school, um, I will let you use the building free of charge to start your kids. So January of 2012. 12. We took 30 kids from the community that had never been to school. And some of these kids were 12, 13, 14 years old. Mm. And we brought them into this one room church. Wow. And what did, um,
0: what was that experience like for you? So we can jump back to some of the, maybe the details, right? Between 2010, when you first were there and then when the school opened, but standing there, that first class that you've had, you have these kids, you've been given this, dr- this dream and this vision from the Lord. Can you explain that? Like, what was that feeling for you guys of standing, or, or were you teaching? Like, were you the ones teaching? Had you equipped, um, you know, Haitians to, to do the teaching or just one seeing of, that dream come to fruition, well, right?
2: One of our visions is, I don't know why, but we felt compelled at the beginning to to make the school haitian run in other words we would raise the funding we would oversee things but we really felt that it was important to grow up haitian leaders haitian teachers and maybe even do things in a haitian manner rather than a western manner Mm, Um, and i'm not sure where that vision came from i guess we would have to say it came from god Mm -hmm. um And as Bob referred to before, there have been so many instances in our life where we took in homeless people or we took in pregnant, you know, women and refugees off of a plane from a third world country that we had gone enough, done enough where we took that step out and just. Said, okay, this is what we feel like God's calling us to do, and just taking it one day at a time. And I think the biggest thing was feeling overwhelmed, like I don't know what we're doing. You know, hmm. here we are. I mean, we are living at home and trying to run this school, and maybe able to make trips there three or four times a year, but trying to. I think the initial reaction was the financial pressure of how to deal with that because Mm. even if it's only 30 kids we've still got to pay teacher salaries we've still got to pay and another thing that we had um decided from the very beginning was that we would feed these children Mm. because many of them don't get any meals at all and i think what's the haitian proverb something a an empty bag cannot stand. And the basic thought is if you've got a child who's starving, they can't learn. Sure. So that was one of the financial pressures though, was that we were going to feed these children every day. So here we are 30 kids, you know, teacher salaries, books, all of these things. It's like, okay, how do we raise, you know, the money and how do we raise the finances? So I think the initial feeling was just, wow, you know, overwhelmed. How are we going to do this? Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I distinctly remember uh, after we agreed to do this, uh, and there was four of us originally, there was another couple that were kind of co-founders. When we originally did this, I distinctly remember laying in our bed one night and having uh, whatever my version of a panic attack is. I don't really get super nervous, but I had this sense of what have I gotten us into? Mm-hmm. And it was a almost a, a feeling of some desperation because I was going through the list of things I didn't know how to do. Sure. I don't speak the language. I don't hold the currency. I don't know how to acquire land. I can't read the textbook. I don't. I, 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 I. I. And in that same breath, it was almost as if this exasperated prayer went up and it came back with laughter saying, you, you, you. Whatever made you think this was about you? And it was this uh, somewhat uh, peaceful sense that the Lord was saying, this has never been about you. Uh, These Haitian kids will get taken care of one way or another. I'm inviting you to join me in what I'm about to do. Hmm. And um, that gave me a a sense of relief because I am a control freak. That gave me a sense of peace. Um, There was still going to be a ton of work. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the... um, eternal destiny of all these Haitian kids and whether or not they got to eat or not wasn't in my hands anymore where I had mistakenly put it. So that was a, kind of a liberating feeling that we got permission from the Lord to proceed. And, and we did. The irony of it, however, was we felt the two couples, the two founding couples felt like we could swing at ourselves We could educate these 30 kids ourselves and we would budget it out of our, each of our own personal incomes. This is all that we take and we can do this. This is what our monthly, uh, exposure will be. Mm -hmm. And no sooner did we do that than, um, you know, my company went through a significant downturn and I lost my job. Wow. And so then it became, you're going to learn one way or another what walking by faith really looks like. Yeah. Cause I'm going to take that away from you. You're not going to get credit for this. Right.
0: Wow! Yeah, that's powerful, and it's not saying that God did that to you, you know, like made your financial oh, no. problems. But it's amazing how um, when you step out in faith, that's usually what happens. The Lord's like, "Okay, well,
1: whatever gift we're going to challenge you this now." You had, I don't need that. I just need obedience.
0: Yeah, that's really good. So, um, wow, that's amazing. I love hearing that story of. You saw a need and you fulfilled it, right? Like, but you didn't do that. The Lord did that. So how did you, um, how did you determine which 30 kids, right? So like I've been to the Dominican Republic, so they share an Island. Mm -hmm. And so I know, um, I mean, I didn't experience Haiti because at the time there was a lot of discourse between the two countries and hatred and things like that. And Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I also know that like being on the same island, there's obviously third world countries and, and things like that. So how did you determine those kids? Because they all need education. They all need jesus you know
1: well and and frankly their parents uh for the most part the part of the the village part that we're in most of those parents never went to any school at all and so even getting those parents convinced that this was a good idea would have been a struggle Mm -hmm. and and i think one of the kindnesses of the lord is that he gave us really good um, leader on the ground right on the very first day He was a very young man, and he's got some significant strengths. He's also got some powerful weaknesses. But at 21, 22 years old, he was going to be kind of our captain. And he did a lot of walking through the mountains to say, we're starting this school. He got laughed at. He got scoffed at. Uh, We just just kind of prayed our way, saying, Lord, you you know the kids. You Mm -hmm. you know who needs to be here, Um, and you'll open that door for them. And, you know, with time, they'll smell the rice and beans cooking, and more curious seekers will stick their noses in and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really wasn't very long before we were kind of bursting at the seams, but it took a long time. He got derisively mocked as uh, nothing more than a caterpillar. Wow. And uh, uh, just a couple years ago, I heard some uh, parents sort of almost in a mm, joyful repentant way calling him a butterfly because he's past caterpillar now he's, wow. he's graduated but uh, but yeah he did a lot of the foot traffic and I think collectively we all did a lot of the knee traffic just praying just just you know, mm-hmm. this is on you. You, you you said you were gonna do some work we're gonna we're gonna watch and mm-hmm. see who you bring in
0: mm-hmm what was it What was the journey like personally for you guys? So like in your own walk with Jesus, um, you know, you were in 2010, you said, Kay that was the first time you went down. When was the first time you went down, Bob?
1: Uh, I went down right as we opened it up. So as soon as it was open, I went down on a scouting trip to make sure it was for real. (laughs) Um, so that would have been like January, 2012.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you're, you know, you've experienced this culture now for the first time. And like I said, I know I've been on a few different missions trips, but there's that moment, I think, where you have to sit back and try and rectify, like, I'm in this first, I'm in this Western first world country. How is what I'm seeing? Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. How,
2: what was that process like for you guys? I think you described it. That's exactly. And every time we go down You have to make that reconciliation again, because how is a loving, perfect, you know, God that we believe is good. And then you go down and see. And I mean, there's a lot of heart in Haiti. I think the thing that struck us over the years is that it's like you've got so much beauty juxtaposed with so much hard in America we kind of separate the two you know mm-hmm. we got the nice places and the in Haiti it is just right on top of each other and as a mm-hmm. nurse I see um, the inadequate health care we have students we have parents dying. Of diseases that should not, they're totally treatable. As a matter of fact, just um, less than a month ago, we have a teacher, Edward, who's been with us from the very Mm get-go, just an incredible young man who Mm -hmm. married recently and finished up his house. His house was damaged in the earthquake, and finally, after I think eight years, got the house all finished up for his new wife, and she was pregnant and had some complications, and she died. I mean, something we would go to the hospital for, and um be treated and yeah it would be scary but she's Mm. she's you know her and her baby are are gone now and those are Mm. the hard things to deal with and then you have to go home and say so why am i here what why am i living you know in this land with so much opportunity Mm -hmm. and so much you know availability of resources and then to go down there and i think um one of the things for me to help grapple with it was Bob's strategy because when you go down to a place like that it's so easy to get pulled in a million directions because mm-hmm. the needs are just overwhelming I mean there have been times when I mean I have to walk away from people mamas that are like I'm hungry and they've got this baby and and that is so hard but Bob you know in order, hmm. And I think this was a lesson we learned with the refugees that in order to be effective, you really have to stay in the lane. In other words, you have to be Um. very comfortable with what God has called you to do, very clear on that, and then stick to it. And Bob was the one, he came up with the acronym GEM of God Honoring Education in a Meal. And mm-hmm. everything has to go through that filter. Does that fit with our, you know, our vision? Because, I mean, there's just so many things that you could. And I think that's why we're still here 10 years later, because we have had to maintain that focus. And yes, there are so many needs and so many needs that you have to kind of almost Uh, you know turn a blind eye to but in order to not be burnt out in order to you know have such limited if you you just throw limited resources at you know minor things then you really don't make an impact Mm -hmm. whereas now for 10 years we've been educating these kids we have 150 kids now in this school and i think we've had four graduating classes of sixth graders um So we just have to focus that that's where our calling is. And that's, you know, where we have to stay focused.
0: That's really good. And I think that's applicable even to so many of us now, like even people listening where I know I want to do this, 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 and this, but like you said, figuring out, okay, what is the Lord calling me to do? And I'm going to focus on that and stay in my lane and trust that you guys are doing what the Lord's calling you to do and you guys are doing what the Lord's calling you to do. That's really helpful and applicable, even not in a third world country or on the mission
1: field. Well, and I think one of the things that we've been um, really uh, treated to is there are other ministries. So Mm. we don't have to be a clinic the the Cubans have a very good clinic, not terribly far from our school, that when we do have a student or teacher who's in really bad shape, we can just wire money down and get them to that clinic. But we don't, have to be the clinic. That's we good. Don't have to be an orphanage. We know where the orphanages are. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have to necessarily be, you know, the roofing contractors every time a hurricane comes through, because there are other ministries. And to the degree that you can network with other people in the same area, maybe called to a different thing, maybe gifted differently, maybe given a different vision. Uh, and, Partner up because to try to go it alone is—it's uh, an exhausting exercise.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's so biblical, even right? Like, mm-hmm. as believers, we weren't called to do this life alone. We weren't called to do ministry alone. Mm-hmm. We're called to partner up with people and link arms. I mean, that's what the body of Christ is, right? Like, right. Right. wow. So, you've had four graduating classes, you said so far. About,
1: yeah, f- we started in the very beginning with first and second grade. Okay, and so when so, they aged up to sixth grade, our first graduating class was two girls.
0: Okay, and that's uh,
1: awesome. Now, now we're averaging a, a dozen or so out of every 150 kids, about a dozen were sixth graders that will pass the exit exam and go on to upper school if they choose.
0: So, does your school go into upper schools, or so it's just a sixth grade?
2: I think that's another one of those areas where we found that sticking with the elementary education, Mm -hmm. um, because there are some very good secondary schools within the area that we can't... What we do is a lot of times people will continue to sponsor a child so that we can put them in a secondary school who are doing it very well. And taking back to the very start and the inception of this... Our goal was to get children off the streets and teach them to read. I mean, that was our, if we could do that, we felt like, okay, we were, sweating. and so as time has gone on, it's like after a couple of years, it's like, no, I just don't want to take them off the street. I want to give them a good education. Mm. So each year it's kind of our vision. God has let our vision grow you know with with that and he didn't throw it all on us at once so you know we've gone to okay i just want to take some kids and teach them how to read tonight you know what i want to make these kids ready you know and we do mm-hmm. have 100 percent passing rate there are some exit exams that the kids have to take in order to get into secondary school so we do have 100 percent pass rate as far as that goes that's so, awesome so and are those thinking,
0: are those mandated by the so haitian the state, school system yeah. and stuff okay. yes that's pretty amazing what was the reception like for you guys like in in the community i know at first you know people were like making fun of it but then even in the education world of the state of haiti or of the country like are you guys have you become like accepted or well known as like this good primary school or you know like the kids want to come here
1: (laughs) it's a great question stacy when um it took us a couple of tries to even get a minister of education to look at our school hmm. to, to certify it. And uh, when they did and when we got our certification, we were pretty excited. That was six years or so ago. Um, and then it took the principals of the secondary schools some arm twisting to take our kids hmm. because the reputation was you're up at that. One on the hill that has no electricity, no running water, and you are the poorest of the poor, hmm.
2: you
0: know,
1: which was our target audience.
0: Yeah. Uh, Thank but, you. That's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you taught yeah. us. And that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> but the, um, the the truth is our students have fared very well in the secondary, especially those early grads. They did us a big hmm. favor when Angela and Cristani graduated uh, and became two of the very top seventh grade students in the school down the road, uh, that that principal began linking arms with ours and saying, what are you doing up here that's working? Hmm. But as far as um, you, you started to ask about the, um, the locals and what their um, response has been. And it's curious because uh, after meeting at Madam Pol's uh, temporary facility for a couple of years, um, uh, the Lord in his kindness brought us a donor that allowed us to purchase land. Wow. And so I went down on a trip and was walking all over the mountains uh, you know, with a couple of guys trying to see where could we buy some land. And uh, we ended up uh, literally after uh, probably, you know, six or seven hours of walking one day back where we started from. And the uh, local voodoo priest uh, came out of his place. And this was all, you know, translated for me. But he said, I understand you're looking for some land. And uh, we said, yeah, that's exactly what we want to you have a permanent spot for the school he says well why don't you buy some of my land Hmm. and uh why would we want to buy your land and uh, he said well your students cross over my land every day to go to the school and i always hear them singing i haven't heard children sing and if you choose any other land i won't hear children singing anymore so why don't you wow. buy some of my land? And we I mean, literally, I mean, after six or seven hours of walking, I ended up, you know, making a deal and we bought land a hundred yards away from Madam Paul's church. And it was right in the center of the voodoo priest's property. Wow. So a village, I, people have laughingly told us, well, you sure know how to pick a fight because it was literally right in the middle of kind of voodoo area. And we were planting a Christian school unwittingly. And once again, just, just just fumbling along Um, but uh, we went right ahead in what we bought was formerly being used as a drinking establishment and um, uh, you know a a place for men to spend an hour with a woman Hmm. and um, junky junky buildings like Gilligan's Island huts and um, over time the Lord redeemed every square inch of that and what once was liquor storage became food storage and what had been a sleeping hut became a cooking hut, and what had been mm. a drinking hut became first grade. And uh, over time, we were able to demolish all that and build more secure, permanent structures. But um, that's that's kind of where we began. So you can imagine that the locals kind of were looking at us a little bit askance, wondering, "What in the world? You know, who's coming in here you now to buy up the voodoo land and preach Jesus?" and take our kids out of our huts you know and and so it took us a little bit of while to build some credibility and then the pendulum kind of swung maybe a little bit too far to the other side where uh, the locals wouldn't even make a decision without you know the white people from america coming down so we've, wow. we've struggled to find that balance wow. and um, have them understand that the land we bought is in the name of the village
2: mm-hmm.
1: our names aren't on anything our ministry name's not on anything wow. so this is yours So you make the decisions. If you decide you want to close it, burn it down, that's you. That's your decision. Uh, But, you know, while we've struggled to get them up to some level of sustainability, um, every bit as hard as that financial sustainability has been, it's that that ownership, that decision-making ownership. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of neat. We've seen a lot of the village um, return or turn to Christ. Um, The voodoo priest is kind of running out of business and, bit by bit, that whole little side of the mountain is um, uh, getting turned over and redeemed for better things.
0: I love that. I love, love, love stories of redemption Mm -hmm. because that's what the business that the Lord is in, Mm -hmm. you know? And I love kind of going back to something you were saying earlier, Kay, about how you guys, your vision for it, not knowing where that came from per se, was to not be running it yourself, but to have locals running it and locals teaching it. And I feel like that's almost like the Jesus model, right? Where Jesus was like, okay, guys, watch me do it. Okay, now come do it with me. Now you guys go do it, you know, like go do that. So, um, what has, what has the process been or even some challenges that you've had to overcome with equipping teachers and local teachers and, and kind of going off what Bob was just saying about getting people to take ownership. Um, cause I think it's amazing that you have such a thriving school and business in a country so far away with none of you guys, no board members there, you know, the right. founders, any of that. So like what, what kind of that, that process, because when I do missions trips, that's what I love to do too. You know, I do sports ministry stuff and, um, which that's a whole other conversation that we can have later. Mm-hmm. But, um, but going down and being like, when I got a mission trip, I'm, I'm here for a week. Like right. y'all are here every day. So like, I want
2: to equip you right. in how to do this. So, and actually it's tougher than you think. I think in some ways it's tougher to allow, um, For us, it's been really challenging because you have to try to better understand the culture Mm -hmm. in the Haitian culture. I think like so many third world countries is a day to day culture. It's like if I Mm. survive today, I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, which in a third world country is about the best you can do, but you know, it's from so a yeah. standpoint, that makes us crazy. Mm-hmm. So trying to get the concept of budgeting and trying to get the uh, planning and limited resources even it's like if i give a haitian you know ten dollars he's gonna spend it today and Mm. or but he may give five of it to somebody else you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. not that it's a selfish motivation our director is one of the most generous people and he literally will give the shirt off of his back but when we're trying to get (laughs) him to plan you know we we can't spend all this money today we've got to look forward to it um and that's one, again, one of those things where God has just guided. I mean, there have been times when Bob will tell you that I'm just pulling my hair out and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I just, because of those cultural differences and trying to breach them and trying to even decide which ones need to be changed and which ones we just need to accept, you know, it's wow. that yeah. fine line of, okay, which things are, are just Western and we do them. We think it's good because that's the way we do it versus right. which ones will really benefit long-term. So, uh, Bit by bit, I think God has taken us. But one of the things that I realized, like you said, my my initial thing was, okay, let's um, get these kids in off the street and teach them Mm -hmm. to read. And then it was like, okay, well, now we need some buildings and now we need some land. Now we need some buildings. Um, Now we need some supplies and some technology. But I think maybe five or six years into it, I realized that our teachers were a product of the Haitian education system, Mm. which... Is not, there was a time when um, there were some dictators that took over the country of Haiti and all the intelligent people were either driven out or left. So that left you with a country where, you know, the teachers were 18, 20 years old and they'd never been educated themselves. So just that realization that, hmm, we are, we are expecting our teachers to raise these kids up and teach them, but they've never really been taught how to They've teach. Never, yeah. Right. Wow. So, so what we will do is when we go down for trips, we'll, you know, try to bring in some resources. Bob's sister is a um, reading specialist. So she would work with the, kid, the teachers on the importance of reading and show them some interactive, you know, things. Mm-hmm. The Haitian mode of teaching is standing up in the front of the classroom and lecturing, you know, rote mm-hmm. memorization. It's it's kind of how they do that. So, But we were very fortunate about three years ago to learn about um, an organization called P4H, and it was started by a Haitian-American and a Nicaraguan-American who are um, educated at Florida State University. Mm-hmm. So they both have doctorates, um, but they're, they have started this organization where they're teaching some of the top-notch Haitian people to administer this program where they go into schools then and teach. And we have had them come and just really teaching our teachers new methods, dynamic methods. And to me, that's an investment that even if, you know, Teresa pulls out of Haiti, we're going to leave behind that legacy where we have trained up um, a group of teachers who can really change, you know, the whole education system in Haiti.
0: That's awesome. I love that. So speak quickly, which you probably have a bajillion of them, um, of a couple of like, I don't want to say success stories, but just kind of like some stories of, of, specific stories of maybe kids that you've seen, you know, maybe their whole families have been changed or, um, teachers, just kind of the, the personal impact, I guess, on, on some people. Cause I love, like, I love that story you said about how God is redeeming the, the town, um, and using, you know, the gospel instead of voodooism, you know, yeah. but, um, You've been there now 10 years. What's kind of a couple, one or two stories of hope that we could give people?
1: We could, yes, uh, we could use up uh, hours uh, to, to go through all of the students and their parents. And, I know, it's a big ask. On. It's a big ask. But uh, one small one, and it wouldn't normally make the top 10, but I think about our very first graduating <laughs> class. Um, there was, should have been three in that class. And I had mentioned earlier that two graduated, mm-hmm. Angela and Cristani. Gerland did not pass the exit exam, so she didn't graduate and wasn't eligible to go on to seventh grade. Uh, and this is still pretty early on uh, in the school, um, but she was really embarrassed by that, and she could repeat sixth grade, and we would have gladly taken her back. But I think she just kind of went back to her village and back to her home and, and when Kay and I found that out in August, September, October, that Guerlain didn't come back, uh, we began lobbying and um, our director was lobbying and we finally collectively persuaded her to come back. And then she came back for Saturday school and she tried mightily to catch up. And um, I, it just was one of the most rewarding things in the world to see her that following June walked down our little aisle with a red cap and gown because mm. she had gotten it done and she had um we, we mentioned that we have this very high pass rate yeah but um the the, the national average is about 20 percent. so for us to be 80 90 100 over the years is is really a testimony to our teachers and how hard they work um but they weren't willing to let gerland fall through the cracks and um they insisted she believed bigger things about herself. And Mm -hmm. that was a, um, this is one of my personal favorites. I mean, she's a grown up now and, um, you know, taking her place in the village and everything else. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we we probably have more uh, dramatic stories about, you know, upper school successes and guys who've started their own businesses and things. But I think that just a small picture of their individual names, their individual people, that the Lord has called by name, and mm-hmm. every one of them matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and for um, for our, our uh, director to kind of go back, it feels like that one lost sheep. You know, to go back and persuade her to come back and try it again. Um, it, 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 to me, that's one of my. Uh, she's one of my favorite students that we've had come through, and uh, I just love that she came back and completed.
0: I love that. Is it? Um... Is it free, tuition free for the students or do they have to provide something in order to come to your school or what's that look like?
1: Yes, it is free. We have um, moved to a spot where we're asking parents to help with books, to help with um, sweat equity, to come cook once in a while or sew a uniform. Um, But honestly, we're still um, struggling to get compliance on that Hmm. because if a child is truly poor enough, we end up taking them despite our board meetings and how firm we are in our resolve, uh, to make this sustainable, uh, when it comes right down to it, um, some of these kids would otherwise uh, be conscripted labor or something else. So it's, hmm. uh, it's important that they're in the school. Mm-hmm. It's there that the uh, message of the gospel is getting repeated daily. It's there that they're, um, getting to feed into their brains and their souls. It's there that they're getting a meal every day. Um, it, it, it 150 kids that's over 30,000 meals a year that we provide so um i'd rather kind of come off of our high and mighty no you have to be sustainable uh, stance once in a while to take that kid who's just can't pay or mm-hmm. parent who won't pay um, so we're still funding the vast majority of it and most of that comes through um uh, uh donors that are sponsoring a child.
0: Okay, that was I mean that was my next question. Is, so, you know, so how can how can we help? How can listeners help? What can what can we do to help maintain the sustainability of this?
2: Um, going back on something that Bob said, uh, something we've realized over the years is that a lot of our children in our school would actually be termed as a rest of it And what a rest of it is, is kind of a form technically of child slavery. Hmm. So what often happens is a parent will die or mom will die or maybe they can't take care. They can't afford to feed a child. So they will pass that child along to an auntie or someone they know in hopes that that child would have a better life. But in reality, what often happens is those children become servants. And um, so uh, we don't have an exact number, but I would say that at least maybe 20 to 30% of our kids would be considered rest Wow. So, um, But typically a child in that situation, whoever's taking them in will not pay for them to go to school. Hmm. So that's where we have the opportunity. And our director says that those are the hardest working kids because they have to get up early in the morning carry all the water start the fire mm-hmm. do all you know all these chores before they can even come to school so that's one of those things where you know if you drew a hard line and said no you have to pay we insist that you have to pay um those children would be left behind because they would not be educated yeah because so. they've got to take care of their family unit first yes first and foremost and right that's what happens yeah so um the way we have funded trezo is through sponsorships, monthly sponsorships and um we have sponsors that have been with us for 10 years mm. and it's so sweet because they have watched the children grow and you know even go up to graduate and sponsor them so um we have a website it's at trezochildren.com and a person can pick a sponsor. I think there are some students there that you can choose from, or we can choose one for you. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, through monthly withdrawals, that's paid, and that's what we use then. And that $30 will pay for us to pay the teacher salary, to um, purchase books for the kids, to provide them that meal um, that they need. So it's it's it, it goes. And the thing that people can feel confident about with us is that every dollar is managed. We take nothing in terms of administration. Um, There's Mm. no American salaries being paid. It is 100% going to the school and going to help those children. That's awesome.
0: And with the, I'm assuming like exchange rate and things, like the American dollar, it it goes pretty Far is that? Op- I'm getting a weird look right
1: now. Am yeah, I wrong? Because well, um, I have no idea. The, the, the Haitian government is um, not well known for its fiscal responsibility, <laughs> so <laughs> the exchange rate bounces around quite a bit um, mm-hmm. depending on what games might be played at the moment. But uh, yes, it does go far, and, and it's not so much even because of exchange rate. But if if a, if a child is sponsored for thirty dollars a month, that's a pretty consistent number in, yeah. of what it takes to really administer their education and that should give you some signal that those teachers are not particularly well-paid yeah it's a highly desirable job because there is no industry on our side of the mountain there's no employers um, it's mostly sustenance farming um, so if somebody has a sort of steady paycheck um, you know where they can make you know a couple hundred dollars a month that's a highly desirable job mm-hmm. um, and we, we, we've you know, for years had to, you know, tread a little bit of a balance of you, you, you want to pay him plenty to, to live on, but not so much that they become um, a target for, you know, theft sure. or something else. And yeah. uh, we compare a lot of times with other ministries in Haiti to see where we stack up. And so, uh, you know, with that networking, we've, we've learned a lot. Yeah. But, um, that's what that sponsorship pays for. And
0: that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of, What I was hoping to get at where it's just like, in my mind, 30 bucks is not much for what gets provided. Right. You know, I'm like, we can, anybody can carve $30, I think, out of their Mm -hmm. monthly budget to change lives like you guys are changing. So
1: There's one retiree who's um, taken a student and then a second one and then a sibling and a second sibling. Now she's Mm -hmm. sponsoring five. Wow. And her fixed income, she sends us. Uh, check for $150 every month and has for eight or nine years. And a couple of kids have graduated, and she's sponsoring them into seventh grade and eighth grade at the upper schools. And, you know, it takes some work, but once in a while, we'll collect all five of those kids from around the neighborhood and get a real good group photo for her. And That's awesome. It's, it's hard because there's no uh, there's no mail system. Mm-hmm. There's uh, no package delivery. So everything we do is done uh, kind of when we go in and when we bring teams in.
2: And how often is that usually Pre-COVID. Yeah, <laughs> typically, we try to go down there four or five times a year. And to me, that's incredibly important personally because when i go down there it, it it kind of fuels me and inspires me to keep going back home with all the logistical fundraising and mm-hmm. things like that uh it was about a year or so ago um when i get down there i just am a woman on a mission i have so many things to accomplish and i was rushing from one place to another and i could actually hear the holy spirit to say stop and i stopped it's look around and I looked Hmm. around and I looked around at this huge building that um, donors have paid with six classrooms in it. And, you know, and God just said, look what I've done. And it was, and that's why I need to go down there personally. It's kind of a selfish thing, but we also love to take teams of people down. Now there are times when there's political unrest and we have to be really cautious about that. Mm -hmm. And then of course with the COVID too, but typically we try to get down there four or five times a year and love to take people. And people, it's also encouraging for us because when people see the school, they're amazed. I mean, mm-hmm. We're kind of like, this is old hat, you know, there's so many things we can improve. But when people come in and interact with the children, and we've had groups say, you know, I've been all over Haiti and I've never seen children. love like this and I give the credit to our teachers our teachers are incredibly loving so like I said typically we try to get down there four or five times a year and teams if anybody would ever be interested in going down you know every few months we take a team of people down and we've got it worked out and it's it's a great thing because we spend a lot of time with the kids but we also have a nice hotel where we stay where people can appreciate the beauty of Haiti like I told you earlier Mm -hmm. there's that beauty um, in with the heart And, and I like to take people and let them enjoy the beauty of Haiti also
0: Sign me up. I'm there. Any chance I get to leave the country, not only to do adventure, but to serve is sign me up. Um, Yeah.
1: Well, you know, um, because you've been to the DR, that Caribbean people are really warm. They're very, Mm -hmm. very affectionate. And and Haiti is no exception at all. So as as, as poor as the Dominican is, they're about five times wealthier than Haitians. Wow. And um, so they, they, they are really just barely getting by but you don't see these you know dopey miserable poor me looks on anyone's face you know when mm-hmm. you, the, the, the second you get out of whatever transported you there uh these children just climbing all over you and um you know, it, it, kay and i are very well known in our village because we've gone in so many times over the years uh that anybody who comes attached to one of us is immediately loved and mm. smothered and you know it's uh it, it, i mean if you're okay with um, uh, a two-hour flight from Miami, it's really not that hard. It's, yeah. It's not that Super hard to Super easy there. trip, huh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk about Trezo and what the Lord's doing, and I love hearing what the Lord's doing in you guys and through you guys. Um, the couple questions that I always ask everybody. Um, one of them is, who... Who would you say has had the biggest impact on your walk with Jesus, like in your life?
1: Uh, I'll go first, Um, and and it's going to sound trite and self-serving in a way, but I honestly think um, this woman sitting to the right of me has been the biggest impact. Uh, Early in our married lives, my wedding vows were, I vowed, to Put Christ first in our marriage, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even really a complete sentence, it was kind of a bad vow, hmm. but that was our vows. And um, and, and Case done a remarkable job of holding me to that. And so, um, with that, whatever anxieties that I've had over money issues or whatever, um, her, um, you know, steadfast holding us to putting Christ first has been really, really, um, uh, instrumental in making me a much more generous man than I would have been much more confident man than I would have been. Uh, I distinctly remember our first one bedroom apartment, uh, we had no furnishings. And so I got some plywood that I nailed together to make a table. And when Kay came home from work, uh, we were kids and she just said, oh, you made me a table. And I thought, well, shoot, if she's impressed by that, I need to make a chair, I guess, And uh, <laughs> And it was like that. That was the first, those early days of, you know, her kind of pouring into me and maybe just getting me to believe more about myself or, you know, maybe that happened accidentally. I'm not sure how, but um, I I watched the discipline that she has with her prayer time and with her study of the word time and um, uh, just the um, playground sense of justice, you know, Mm. they're not going to be, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. And uh, it's been... um, it's been an incredible gift for me. We all know that all men marry up, right? We all know that. That's a that's a that's a scientific fact. But few men marry up as high as I did. Oh, so sweet.
2: Well, you know, it's funny when you first asked that, I couldn't really come up with a specific person. We've moved around. We've been in a lot of different things. But as I hear Bob talk. Um, I have to turn some of that back to him because here's my mode of operation. Okay. I'm feeling really energetic and I read about something. Um, one of the typical, typical scenarios was back in, I think it was 2000 and I saw a 60 minutes program about the lost boys of Sudan. I don't know if you're familiar. It's an incredible Mm -hmm. story. And shortly after that, I learned some of the young men were being resettled in Nashville. So I got this great idea. Wouldn't it be cool to have one of them come live with us, you know, go get him from, you know, when he came in and then he could go to school and he could live. And I had another friend who was crazy enough that I talked her into it too. She lived down the street. I'm like, one can live with you and one can live with us. And, <laughs> and of course I've got, you know, these wild dreams and I talked Bob into it, right? I'm like, I convinced him that this is a good idea. Yeah. And they, they, a group of them came in and this friend, of course, that was in with it, she was out of town. So. So we went to the airport and we ended up coming home with five refugees, five refugees from <laughs> South from Kenya, actually they were Southern oh my Sudanese. Gosh. They had never seen electricity. They had never seen running water, maybe had ridden in a car. I can't remember. And we brought them home to our house. We had three kids. We brought them home to our house and like, They're upstairs and we're laying in bed and like, what have we... We know nothing about these young men. But that's what (laughs) usually happens is I get this great idea. I talk him into it. And then after a while, I'm exhausted. And I'm like, I quit. I can't do this. This was stupid. And he's the one who says, nope, we're going to do this. I mean, there have Mm. been times with the school in Haiti where uh, my frustration level has just been so high. And I'm like, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. And he'll just patiently kind of pick things up, pick up the slack encourage me so that I get over myself and you know go back mm-hmm. into it so he has been like I said he, he makes me sound good but in reality it's like I get the ideas I get it going and then somewhere along the line I change my mind and he's the one who keeps it
0: going through <laughs> that's awesome well that's a uh, that's even encouraging to hear as uh I wasn't gonna say this at first but as a single woman just to encourage you guys and to say thank you Um, you know, we've known each other a few months now, Bob, right? Like since starting at the school, but um, a consistent thing that I hear from students and from other faculty and parents is they're so impressed with how um, strong of a man of God you are. Mm -hmm. And it shows through everything that you do. And even with me, I remember having a conversation with you in the office where you're like, I mean, You know, when I'm looking for a home, you know, you're like, you're welcome to come stay with us, you know, but if Kay's gone, then you need to be out of the house or, you know, and just the integrity that you walk in, um, as a single woman, I've stepped back a couple different times and been like, okay, that's the kind of man that I need. That's the kind of man that the Lord has for me. Mm -hmm. Um, because I've been, you know, I've dated a few different guys or whatever, and really not very many. Um, and that's kind of that consistent thing between a bunch of different <clears throat> men in my life. So, anyways, hearing you guys say all of that is just encouraging again, and hopefully, you know, other single women or and even some of our students that hear this um, would be encouraged and and even walk in your footsteps because I know you've got a big footprint and a big kind of place in some of these freshman boys and mm-hmm. um, in their life and again, I've talked to different mamas and, and they really appreciate you and what you invest into their boys. So, um, one of them, even just the other day knew I was talking to you and he goes, she goes, I need you to ask him, what was he like as a 14 year old boy? (laughs) 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 Because I'm ready to strangle mine, (laughs) you know, but, um, anyway, so just to encourage you, you know, just everything you're doing overseas. Um, you're making a huge difference here at our little school as well. Um, So thank you. you. But um, so my final question, this is more fun, not a serious question. But what are three of your simple joys of life? Because I just like having fun and being joyful. And so what are just three things that make you happy?
2: I can do this one. Chocolate ice cream for sure. Or even chocolate in general is okay. (laughs) My grandkids and... Actually, I think going to Haiti is, I mean, as much as I say, that's hard. I, there's, once I hit the ground, it's like, I feel like I'm home again. So those that's are awesome. my three. Uh,
1: playing baseball, um, playing any musical instrument, and probably running a track meet. Those are my midlife crises, and I'm going to stick with those.
0: Awesome. Oh, hey, so stay moving and stay young forever, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well... Thanks so much, guys. I had so much fun talking. Thank you you for inviting me into your home and and chatting. You're you're welcome anytime. So, awesome. Thanks. Thanks.
3: Friends, don't you just love Bob and Kay as much as I do now? And don't you just want to get on a plane tomorrow and head to Haiti? I think the thing that I love the most is their obedience to the Lord even when they didn't see the next steps. I was reminded of Proverbs sixteen nine: A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And isn't that so true of Bob and Kay's story? Kay went to Haiti to meet medical needs, but God needed her and Bob there to impact an entire town through education. Be sure to follow Trezo School on Facebook and Instagram, but most of all, keep them in your prayers as they are working so hard daily to change lives through education. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation and you haven't yet, would you do me a favor and click that subscribe button? Not only does it help me out, but it keeps you up to date on when new episodes are released. I sure hope that through today's conversation, you were inspired to dream big dreams and say yes to big adventure. You've heard me say it before. We all have a unique story that nobody else has and nobody else can live. So remember... Get out there and live your great story.